It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. All righty, what is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening and subscribing. I appreciate it. If you haven't already subscribed, it's super easy to do. There should be a button right there on the smartphone that lets you do that. Or you just head on over to thepetecalendarshow.com and there is a big fat subscribe button right there in the middle of the page. You click on it and uh, then you're all set. You just got to pick whatever platform uh, you want to get the podcasts on. And it doesn't matter to me. It uh, They're all the same in my eyes. They're all equal. They're like children. I love them all differently. Um, So I want to thank also patrons of the program. Love all of them. Uh, Folks like Daniel and Lisa and Eric, Loretta, Nancy, Stephen, David, Curtis, Sherry, Nick, Mark, and Paul. Uh, Thank you very much. They became patrons of the show. You can as well. Again, thepetecalendarshow.com. So former President Donald Trump was in North Carolina this weekend for the state party's uh, convention, the Republic, the, the North Carolina Republican convention. And a bit of news was made at this event because he endorsed, uh, one of the candidates for the U S Senate race. And apparently this was a big surprise to everybody. Uh, even the person who got the, <laughs> the endorsement, <clears throat> at least until right before the speech, apparently he was told, uh, I won't, I won't keep you in suspense. It was Ted Budd. He, uh, got the president's endorsement. I've got the audio. We're going to uh, listen to, Uh, Some portions of the speech, not the entire thing. I think he went for like 90 minutes. And uh, so we're not going to listen to the entire speech. Obviously, the podcast is uh, less than an hour. So we we don't even have time to listen to it all. And honestly, not all of it is like particularly compelling. Um, I mean, it it was a fine speech. The people that were there, they loved it. Um, And, uh, you know, the people that hate Donald Trump, they hated it. So, uh, you know, it fit everybody's priors. (laughs) Every, it really was amazing. The reaction, like I'm sitting there watching the, the Twitter machine as, uh, uh, as the president speaks. And then afterwards, and the people that are just flooding the zone. I mean, there were hashtags that started trending like uh, Diaper Dawn and uh, Hope Hicks. And I'm like, why is Hope Hicks trending? Because there was a story at some point about how when she was in the administration during uh, his presidency, she would steam his pants like she had a, a, a garment steamer. Because his pants, I guess the suits he wears, I don't know, but I guess they're like really high quality. They're like silk. And so they they wrinkle easily or something. And so she would steam the pants. And this to the left is, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he steams his pants. And uh, apparently at the speech, he was sitting down for a while and then he was standing up or whatever. And then his pants had these wrinkles in it. And like for people who really hate Donald Trump, they certainly are fixated by his crotch. Don't understand it, but uh, they're, so they're looking at his crotch area and they're tweeting like to the point where these topics trended on Twitter for so many of these leftists like fixating on Donald Trump's pants and whether because the other thing was that this is why diaper Don was trending as they thought, oh, look at him. He's wearing a, you know, a adult garment, right? A, it depends, basically. He's wearing a diaper because he's incontinent. Oh, my gosh, isn't that hilarious? He's incontinent. Which I'm wondering, like, are there 
well, I'm, I'm not even going to say it. Not even going to say it. I am. I am genuinely curious about the uh, the thought process, if there even is one, behind attacking Donald Trump for his age and whether or not he's senile and incontinent, like all these accusations, right? Meanwhile, supporting Joe Biden. <laughs> and I've said, look, I've said this consistently since uh, the 2020 race. Of all the people that Democrats put up against Donald Trump, they picked a guy who was very, very similar. Like all the lefty criticisms of Donald Trump, they they picked the guy who most closely resembles all of those criticisms <laughs> and then they elected him. Uh, it's just, and I know there are people and this came up in the speech as well. And of course, this is what the media fixated on is that Donald Trump still says he didn't lose the election. It was stolen. It's all rigged. And so this is what uh, the media fixates on. And guys, I don't like, I don't know any other way to say this except for the, for the very, I mean, like just from a, a strategic standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, um, you're giving the media the narrative to write every single time you do a speech that includes this line of attack. This, And if you don't believe me, like you've got Politico, uh, Trump emerges on the trail and plays the hits of yore. Never before in U.S. history has a former president returned to the campaign trail to claim that his election loss was fraudulent. But in his informal reemergence on the political scene from the GOP faithful at the North Carolina GOP convention in Greenville, uh, Donald Trump did just that, insisting falsely that the 2020 race was stolen and corrupt, which, by the way, Politico will never frame Stacey Abrams like that, who has made a career out of it, uh, out of making claims about Georgia's election being stolen from her and rigged against her and corrupt and all of that. Um, but this is this is the boilerplate narrative that now uh, is attached to every single appearance that Trump makes where he makes these arguments. And I know for people who believe that uh, the election was stolen, like, and again, present the evidence, I'm all ears, but... Um, this is the kind of thing that you're relitigating over and over and over again, and you're allowing the media to keep casting everything through that prism. Um, I just don't think it's helpful, but what do I know? Just a podcaster. Anyway, North State Journal got an exclusive chat with the president before he took to the stage. Uh, Matt Mercer has uh, the article. I'll just give you a couple of the highlights. He talked about the economy, touted the tax reform success. He criticized the job numbers that have just been uh, released that are you know below economist expectations. He also tied his economic plans to the development of the COVID-19 vaccines. He said his economic plans helped set a foundation uh, when Operation Warp Speed was brought online. He also commended the military efforts in uh, aiding the distribution of the vaccine. And um, he said uh, to, he previewed his endorsement as well. So uh, and then the North State Journal's got a second part of this exclusive interview. It's going to appear in the print edition this week. You can check out that at uh, nsjonline.com, North State Journal, um, which, by the way, when I was over there, I started I saw a story on the sidebar about a mind sniffing rat named Magawa, who is retiring after years of hard work in Cambodia. <laughs> Apparently. No, I'm not kidding. Like I was. Like, really? There's this there's a rat that sniffs out mines. And so I read the story and it is literally a rat for five years. They would have this thing run all around sniffing out unexploded ordnance in Cambodia. 
and the thing's name is Magawa, and he's now retiring. It's the African Giant Pouched Rat, and uh, he's been the most successful rodent trained and overseen by a Belgian nonprofit. <laughs> so you got a Belgian nonprofit that trains African rats to sniff out mines in Cambodia. <laughs> it truly is a small world, right? <laughs> he's still in good health. He's still in good health. Uh, he's actually been given, uh, he won the British, uh, a British charity's top civilian award for animal bravery. And that was an honor that had heretofore only gone to dogs. And now it, Magawa became the first rat. It um, it cleared more than 141 square meters or one and a half million square feet of land. One and a half million square feet of land. That is the equivalent of about 20 soccer fields. 20 soccer fields. Uh, this thing found 71 landmines and 38 items of unexploded ordnance. And uh, they can be trained to detect scents and will work at repetitive tasks for food rewards. Um, and the giant pouched rats were the best suited to landmine clearance because their size allows them to walk across minefields without triggering explosives. And they could do it way faster than people can. And uh, they only live about eight years. <laughs> so he worked for five of them. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Anyways, I just saw that as a sidebar story at the North State Journal. They got the exclusive interview also with Donald Trump, uh, the second part coming this week in their print edition. Um, I got to tell you also this week, Christy and I, uh, just yesterday, we went out to uh, uh, the, the site where the home is being built. And, uh, you know, the neighbors, they're all kind of farther along in the process or further along in the process, I should say. And they're doing a bunch of landscaping work out in the backyard. And we're, now we're kicking around some ideas. And of course, I, my mind goes to general equipment rental because I'm like, I'm going to need to rent some pretty big pieces of equipment to start moving around some dirt, I suspect. Uh, and if this is part of your plans for the spring and summertime, you're going to do some major projects around the house, uh, then you need to get over to General Equipment Rental, whether you want to purchase some tools, like some outdoor yard equipment, like a chainsaw. They've got all sizes, depending on you know how heavy of a work load you're looking to do. Uh, they got trimmers, they got hedge clippers, uh, lawnmowers, blowers, they have, uh, you know, stuff for commercial grade use. So if you're a contractor and you need something that's real heavy duty, they've got like the stand on mowers for like uh, landscaping outfits and such. They do gas, they do uh, battery power, they've got it all. And uh, they service what they sell. Uh, they're your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Okay, and obviously they they rent a whole bunch of stuff, too. Okay, so if you need a piece of equipment, you need a tool, and you don't want to buy it because you only need it for like one job, then uh, head on over to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family owned and operated for three generations now. Um, and uh, you can look them up online at generalrents.com. By the way, 10% off your first rental. GeneralRents.com and think outside your toolbox. So back to the speech here, Donald Trump, according to the Politico article, Trump applauded audits that are, that are taking place in various states and scoffed at the notion that all of this was subversive and problematic for society. So you can totally tell the vibe that the reporter here, Meredith McGraw, is trying to convey you know, Trump is terrible. He's going to destroy the entire country. Um, 
He said, quote, I'm not the one trying to undermine democracy. Trump said as the crowd stood on their feet, he says, I'm the one trying to save it. The speech was not all about questioning the election's legitimacy. In fact, that portion came nearly an hour into it. So isn't that an interesting admission by the reporter here, right? That's the, the reporter starts off the piece with this, uh, this framing that uh, the president is, you know, out there still questioning the results of the 2020 election, which, again, so did Stacey Abrams, but she was celebrated and elevated, unlike Donald Trump, right? Stacey Abrams was not accused of undermining democracy, trying to undo the entire republic, right, tear down the framework of a free society. She she wasn't accused of doing that. In fact, she was elevated and celebrated as the, the voice of an important movement uh, inside politics, and uh, she led the charge on a lot of the, you know, get out the vote efforts, and she's constantly brought, she was, they were talking about her for vice president, right? They wanted Joe Biden to name her as vice president. So uh, there is a, there's definitely a double standard here, and I do not expect the Democrats or the media, but I repeat myself, to uh, to acknowledge it or to correct it because it serves their purpose. You just need to understand that, right, these folks are, uh, these are activists, these are Democrats with bylines. They are, these publications, this is their, uh, these are the house organs of the Democratic Party, which is how you end up with this story that starts off with this focus, this framing, oh, look at him, he's talking about the election, but then they acknowledge four paragraphs later <laughs> that uh, that portion came an hour into the speech, and it wasn't, the speech wasn't even really about that. It was about a lot of things. He talked a lot about a lot of things, but honestly, the biggest theme that he hammered away on was China. I thought that was interesting. Anyway, prior to that, Trump bragged about his administration's role in developing the coronavirus vaccine and attacked the Biden administration's foreign policy, energy and immigration policies. Um, so he bragged about his administration's role in developing the vaccine. <laughs> so he's bragging. Isn't that interesting, too, that... Uh, Trump brags about it, but Joe Biden touts. This is one of the journalisming rules, right? Democrats tout successes. Republicans brag about them. He attacked infectious disease expert Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's become a boogeyman for Trump and the right as, quote, not a great doctor, but a hell of a promoter. Okay, let's go ahead and listen to some audio clips because we can listen to the way I pointed that line out because the boogeyman for the right, the boogeyman, like, it's, it's interesting because, and Jim Garrity wrote about this, <clears throat> and I've got, uh, well, here, I'll go ahead and uh, let me get to it right now. Do, 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 do. Jim Garrity at National Review. Because uh, Politico was also, they had another piece up today that said attacks on Fauci grow more intense, personal, and conspiratorial. And Jim Garrity says, okay, fine, sure. You know, you can find the nutty conspiracy theories, the personal attacks. You got unhinged demonization of Fauci, just as you can find that phenomenon of just a uh, phenomenon of just about every political figure who has been venerated to the point of prayer candle merchandising, <laughs> which is a thing, by the way. Like, have you seen some of the the uh, the cult of personality around Fauci? Of course you have, right? Like St. Anthony, right? St. Fauci. Like, there are people who have, I mean, like, fetishized this guy to some extent. And we saw it with Obama. We saw it with Trump, like the paintings of the posters of him, you know, as a knight or as a whatever, you know, on horseback and all this stuff. People do this sort of thing. I never understand it. I don't, it doesn't appeal to me at all. 
But apparently there are a lot of people that really enjoy doing this. They they love elevating certain political people into like hero status and saint status or whatever. And Fauci has achieved that. He has attained that. Uh, just like uh, Andrew Cuomo up in uh, New York, the love gov where people were like, oh, my gosh, he's so dreamy as he's murdering all these old people. Right. They I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But anyway, Jim Garrity says, you know, has it ever crossed the minds of the team at Politico that maybe just maybe Fauci has earned some fair criticism? Is that possible? Is it even remotely conceivable that significant chunks of the uh, American public are starting to get the sense that Fauci has been shading the truth and tweaking and tailoring his advice, sometimes in the face of well-reasoned opposition, and he's been doing it for a while now, right? But we're to believe that he's done nothing to earn any criticism whatsoever, not even like the reversal on masks. Nothing in any of the emails that we're learning about uh, that suggest this kind of cozy relationship with adoring reporters. Nothing in his evasive answers about whether U.S. taxpayer money ended up financing gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Is there nothing in Fauci's past defenses of -of gain-of-function research where he literally says a pandemic might be worth it? Not even when Fauci recommended fully vaccinated people keep wearing the masks and then later admitted that, well, before the CDC made the recommendation change, I didn't want to look like I was giving mixed signals. But being a fully vaccinated person, the chances of my getting infected in an indoor setting is extremely low. Right. So is it possible? Maybe that people hear these conflicting messages and they see these stories and they're thinking this guy might not be completely on the up and up. It's not a completely irrational or unreasonable question to ask. Uh, And when you keep framing it as such, you're going to alienate more and more people. And more and more people are going to now view you as, you know, again, an arm of the Democratic Party. So let's get to some audio. Here is Donald Trump starting off the speech in Greenville, North Carolina. Thank you. I love you too. It's great to be back in Greenville with so many proud North Carolina patriots who love our country, support our military, respect our police, honor our flag, and always put America first. We don't put America second. As we gather tonight, our country is being destroyed before our very own eyes. Crime is exploding. Police departments are being ripped apart and defunded. Can you believe that? Defund our, is that good politics, defund our police? Number one, it's bad for our country, but think of it, defund our police. You know, I've long said they're, poly- they're vicious, they're violent, they, in many cases, hate our country, and they have bad policy. Now, the bad news from our standpoint, they stick together. They don't have some of the people like we have where they go on their own and they do what they have to. They <laughs> stick together. So one of the things I've said this for years with Donald Trump is like he has the script. He has the speech like on the teleprompter and then he goes off prompter. He uses it. He's very much like a talk show host. This is why, like, I understand what he's doing. He has the speech written out like I'll have articles and I have things highlighted and I'll use those as springboards. <laughs> to get into commentary and that's what he does and he starts just going off the cuff and that's what this was he started with the police uh, uh, defunding thing and then he's kind of shifted gears a little bit and he's kind of chasing down those uh, those ideas 
But um, it was interesting because that line, this this beginning of the speech where he opened with the defund effort, this was highlighted by a reporter for the News and Observer. And I'm going to tie this back to uh, the Asheville Police Department here by the end of the show, because Asheville Police Department is now telling people that in uh, that they're not going to be responding to about a dozen non-emergency call types, calls for service. Types of calls for service are not going to uh, elicit a... Uh, a uniformed officer response. So uh, kudos to the city of Asheville and the all the people that have been working to make uh, the city uh, police-free. Uh, score one for them. They are well on their way. Speaking of uh, being on their way, if you are on your way to, I don't know, let's say you're heading to Asheville or you're going to Maggie Valley or Cherokee or Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg, if you get off exit 27 on I-40, you can easily stop by Old Grouch's Military Surplus. That's where he is. Okay, and while you're there, check out some of the other shops in downtown Clyde, like the boutique gift gift store and the clothing shop uh, just open next door to Old Grouch. So something for everybody to go, uh, you know, if you're with the missus, I'm not trying to assign gender roles here, but, you know, maybe they're not too interested in going to the Military Surplus shop. They can go to the clothing shop right next door. Win-win. Win-win. Also, As Tim says, uh, Tim is the owner of Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He says it's only a matter of time before you have a medical emergency at home or work. So before anybody else arrives, you are the first responder. Being responsible as a parent or a business owner means being prepared for emergencies. And he has got first responder kits that are already packed with more than 350 components and they will help you deal with any kind of medical event from a minor scrape to a major cut or broken bone. Um, These kits are made in North Carolina, and they come in a durable, bright orange bag with reflector strips, so it's well-marked, instantly recognizable as a first aid kit, which is really important in a workplace environment, okay? So go check out the kits. They are at oldgrouch.com or obviously the shop. Uh, It's open Monday through Saturday and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. And tell them that you heard it here on uh, the show. I appreciate that. All right, back to the audio clip here, and uh, Trump is talking. He starts off with the crime issue, but he's going to kind of bounce around, as he does. And that's the one thing they have. They stick together, but their policy is so bad, and uh, we're going to have a tremendous 2022, just like we did, frankly, 2020. Think of it. More votes than any sitting president in the history of the United States by far. We had a great election. Bad things happened. But we had a great election. But you look at our border is wide open. Illegal immigration is skyrocketing at a level that we've never seen before. And this is over a period of a few months. Drugs are pouring in. Gas prices are soaring. Our industries are being pillaged by foreign cyber attacks. That's a lack of respect for our country and for our leaders. And speaking of our leaders, they're bowing down to China. America is being demeaned and humiliated on the world stage. Our freedom is being overtaken by left-wing cancel culture. And the Biden administration is pushing toxic, critical race theory and illegal discrimination into our children's schools. Now, you tell me, we take this? Joe Biden and the Socialist Democrats are the most radical left-wing administration in history. Even Bernie Sanders can't believe it. He said, I can't believe this happened. This is worse than I ever was. 
And I don't know if they even know what the hell they're signing. Somebody's drawing these documents and putting it in. It's getting signed. It's a disgrace what's happening to us. So this is another thing. So that's a reference, obviously, to Joe Biden being, you know, uh, out to lunch with dementia. I think this is hilarious that both sides accuse, you know, the Democrats accuse Trump of being, uh, uh, you know, suffering from dementia. And the right accuses Joe Biden of suffering from it. Um, There's also this idea he expressed there is like, oh, they all stick together because that's exactly what the Democrats say about Republicans as well. Yeah, they anyway, um, I do think, though, that this was important to note here that Donald Trump is funny to his audience. This is often lost on a lot of the people who cover him because they hate him so much. The media hates him so much, but they rely on him so much. Like the the media presence at this event was unbelievable. Like there were people from all over the state, local publications that went all the way to Greenville to cover this. <laughs> Where like, do you need to go there? Like, are you going to be there for a particular reason? I'm not really clear on that, but regardless, they, they, they all went in and they all needed Trump so they can get some clicks, so they can get some views. I mean, that, that has so much to do with this, this dependent relationship. <laughs> That's what's going on here. And the thing that is lost on these people is that the audience thinks Donald Trump is funny. He makes jokes and they understand his jokes and the people on the left do not. They just don't get the jokes. Country. The survival of America depends upon our ability to elect Republicans at every level, starting with the midterms next year. We have to get it done. We have to get it done. We have no choice, actually. We have to get it done. Together, we're going to defund our freedoms. You just uh, take a look at what's happening. All right. So he meant to say defend our freedoms, but he said defund. And this is where I'm going to cut it off because he just... He's he's kind of getting lost now in the script and trying to. Well, you'll hear. We have to defend our our borders. We have to do all of these things and the cancel culture, the defunding culture, the defending culture, and they defend the wrong things. We're not going to let it go any longer. We're going to stand up for our values. We have to stand up for our values, and we're going to take back our country, and we're going to take it back at a level that is very, very good for our country, and it's good for our citizens, because we can't allow bad things to happen to our country, and bad, bad things are happening to us, perhaps like never before. Okay, so you can hear, like that, that is obviously not part of the prepared remarks. He was floundering, the, I think the audience knew it, so they kind of bailed him out with the applause to kind of push through it, push through it. And that, look, that's one of the things. When you do a live show, you're working without a net. When you go off script, you're working without a net. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you wobble. Uh, sometimes you fall. And uh, everybody's like, ooh, splat. And they all saw it. Um, all right, so next up. He then introduces his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump. I'd like to have her. You know, she was born in this particular state. She loves this particular state. And maybe I'd like to ask Laura Trump to come up and say a few words. Laura, please, come on up. Okay, my people. Can we just start off really quickly, and I'll keep this brief. But Donald Trump is 2-0 in the state of North Carolina, folks. How about it? Not bad. And I got to thank all of you because I promised my father-in-law that we would win this state for him. And we 
won it in two elections. So thanks to all of you. And she did work really hard in North Carolina over the last election cycle. I was born and raised in this state. I absolutely love the state of North Carolina. My parents, Bob and Linda, are here with my brother Kyle. They drove in from Wilmington to be here tonight. My brother graduated from ECU right here in Greenville. He's a pirate. And this this state truly made me the person that I am today. I love this state so much. I named my daughter Carolina, okay? And I don't want any of you UNC fans to get any ideas because y'all know I'm Wolfpack for life. All right? I want to set that one straight. Now, you may have heard a rumor that I have been considering possibly running for a Senate seat here in North Carolina. So I have been considering it, and it's a big decision, in case nobody knew. It's a very big deal, and look, it's something I did a lot of soul-searching, a lot of thinking, talking with my father-in-law, my parents, my husband, Eric, and because of the values my parents instilled in me, they taught me that when you do something, you give 100%. That is the only way to operate. And because of my two kids who are very young, one and three, Carolina and Luke, it is going to be very hard for me to enter this Senate race right now. But I am saying no for now, not no forever, just so you know. And I came here tonight with my father-in-law because there is a very special person who is going to do an amazing job as your next senator from the state of North Carolina that he is going to announce tonight here in this room. And I can promise you this, just because my name is not on the ballot does not mean I am not fighting every step of the way with you here in North Carolina, because if we're being honest, this is so much bigger than a Senate seat. It's about the future of America. We have to fight for our conservative values. We have to have a person in that Senate seat who represents North Carolina and is going to lead this country in the right direction. So I want to say thank you to everybody. I had so much support and so many people that were so sweet and, and poured out so much love for me with the thought of, of me possibly running. So again, no for now, not no forever. At the right time, I would absolutely love to come back and consider running for something here in my home state because I love love it dearly. And before I turn it back over to my father-in-law, here's what I want to say. We are 2-0, and but what do you say we go 3-0, and guys? Let's do it. I love you guys. Thank you. All right. So that does... Let me stop here for a second. That does confirm, right, the rumors, the reporting that she was thinking about running for the U.S. Senate seat. Um, we had kind of got whiffs of this throughout the last year, and she confirms that she was, in fact, contemplating it. And sounds like she will maybe in another two years. Don't know if Tom Tillis is going to run for re-election in, what would that be, 20, or not two years, uh, four years, I guess, because Tillis was just up, so it'd be four years from now. So maybe that's what she's looking at. Uh, her kids will be, I don't know, five or six years old and eight years old or so at that point. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she waits for them to be teenagers. That's it. Look, getting into this line of work is a very difficult decision, takes a lot of uh sacrifice especially is hard on the family so like i get it and uh we wish her the best but i did think that maybe the the line about coming back here to run for the u.s senate seat like mm, i'm not sure i would have said that 
because uh, <laughs> it just it kind of, I mean, it just it yeah it focuses the attention on the fact that you're not here now, so you would be coming back to run for the seat. Not that North Carolina hasn't welcomed native uh, North Carolinians back to run for seats like Elizabeth Dole did. New York did it right with Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, it can be done. Um, but I just, I don't know if that's something you want to focus on <laughs> necessarily, but we shall see. Okay. So now Trump is going to get back on, uh, uh, on the podium and, uh, he's going to make his endorsement of Ted Budd. We'll take a listen to how that played out first. If your mattress is played out, then you need a new mattress and you need a recommendation for where to go to get one. Uh, somebody that you can trust, you're going to get a good deal and you're going to get a great mattress. All of that is at Mattressman. Mattressmanstores.com is the website. You can go and check out the inventory, check out the deals. Uh, you can get a free box spring with the purchase of a mattress from the Biltmore Collection. And you're not going to find that Biltmore Collection at another retailer besides Mattressman. He's an exclusive retailer of this collection in Asheville. And uh, this is obviously inspired by our very own local landmark uh and uh this is made the mattresses are made by restonic and so that means you're going to get luxurious design you're going to have uh, old world craftsmanship blended with new world exclusive technology like the five support zones for proper spinal alignment uh you're you're going to end up with a more restorative healthier sleep and uh who couldn't use that right and also, why wait for a new mattress? Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants, and they have tons of flexible financing options. So even if your credit history isn't the best, it's okay. Go to mattressmanstores.com, click the financing link, and you can apply and get pre-approved right now. Do it online, and you'll know before you even walk in the store. Okay, go to mattressmanstores.com, click the financing link, uh, or walk on into any of their four locations in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden. Uh, they have five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Mattressmanstores.com, Mattressman, experience the difference, buy local, and sleep better. All right, back to the president's remarks. Uh, Laura Trump has just finished, and uh, now Trump retakes the podium. <laughs> Oh, those polls, if you believe in those polls. Laura. Well, Laura was number one in the polls. Uh, She also explained, I love my family. I love your son. I love those beautiful children, and I have to take care of them. And uh, there's something very refreshing about that. I don't hear that from everyone. (laughs) Sadly, I hear a lot of the opposite, actually. But uh, that's why you're such a special part of the family, because uh, you look at the numbers and you look at the polls and the love that the state has for you. It's incredible. So uh, thank you. And I've been putting a little pressure. I said, make your decision, please, (laughs) because we have to pick somebody. And what I don't want is I don't want a lot of people joining a race that have been big Trump supporters. And then I have to go with somebody because there's somebody in this room that I think is very special. Somebody that I've worked with, always been with me, always been with Mark and Deb and all of us. He's uh... he's talking right there about Mark Meadows and Meadows' wife, Deborah, Debbie Meadows, Deb Meadows. So I think this was interesting. First off, did you, where he just said, I don't want there to be a lot of people in the race, a lot of a lot of pro-Trump people in the race, because it makes it harder for him to pick somebody to endorse. And that makes sense, right? But it also makes it harder to pick somebody to endorse that you know then is going to add to your win column. And he's going to mention this later. <laughs> so uh, he and look, this happened already, right here in North Carolina with Madison Cawthorn and Linda Bennett. 
So uh, right now you've got a field. There's uh, what Mark Walker, there's Pat McCrory, and there's uh, Ted Budd. And, you know, Mark Robinson was kind of kicking the tires on this thing, but he decided not to. So now, like, but if you do it now, does that keep anybody else out of the race? And so he says he's interested in making sure that that is the case. And that honestly sounds like it. That sounds like advice from Mark Meadows, because <laughs> that's what Meadows tried to do with Linda Bennett in the North Carolina 11th district. All right. Back to the uh, president. A man that uh, hasn't been pushing me at all, unlike some of the others that are running, that won't win. They won't win. You know, we have another race after this one. This man's a great politician, but more importantly, he's somebody that loves the state of North Carolina. He loves the country. And I'm going to do it now because, again, I don't want a lot of people running and then they're going to be disappointed. And in many cases, they're friends of mine. You know, they're great people. They're thinking about running. They want to run. And they wanted to wait, frankly, till Laura made her decision. Because she would have been tough. She would have been tough. And she's uh, very outstanding. But uh, I think she did the right thing for her and for her family. But this gentleman is going to be your next senator. He's going to be somebody that you're going to be so proud of. He will fight like hell. Would you agree with that, Mark? Well, he will fight like nobody fights. And a lot of you don't know him that well, but you're going to know him probably within about two minutes. Ted Budd, please come up. Please come up. Please come up, Ted. I am giving him my complete and total endorsement. We're going to work with him. We're going to campaign with him. You can't pick people that have already lost two races. You can't pick people that have already lost two races and that do not stand for our values. That is a shot at Pat McCrory. That is a shot at Pat McCrory. He has lost two statewide races for governor, right? He lost back in 2012 or... uh, now, I always get confused. I'm getting old now. I apologize. Right. So he lost in 2016 to Roy Cooper. He won in 2012, uh, beating Walter Dalton. Who? Walter Dalton, the candidate that nobody knew about because Bev Perdue quit uh, and said she wasn't going to run for reelection. So Bev Perdue, though, had beaten McCrory four years prior to that. So that would have been 08, right? Because when Obama ran... Uh, Bev Perdue won in that election cycle. And then she said, I'm not running for re-election, didn't do a second term, and McCrory won. So out of the three statewide runs, McCrory has lost two of them. And this has been an attack that was actually made, I believe, if I recall correctly, was made by Mark Walker, the congressman <laughs> who's running for Senate and has been going around. I've had him on the program. He's been going around getting all of these endorsements from all of these elected officials. And apparently he has been trying to get one from Donald Trump and it didn't happen. And it sounds like Ted Budd got the endorsement at the urging of Mark Meadows. That's I'm look, I'm just reading complete speculation on my part here, just reading between the lines. But that's what it kind of sounds like happened. People forget, you know, Mark Walker was part of what was it, the the Tuesday group or something that uh, in the Congress, and they were positioning themselves as the conservative caucus group, and they were kind of at odds. They were like competitors to the House Freedom Caucus, where Meadows was, and then led, right? Mark Meadows was the leader of the Freedom Caucus for a while. So... They always kind of there were there was always this competition about which one of these caucuses is the real conservative caucus in the House. And I I got to wonder if some of those politics were at play on this endorsement. Now, 
This is also interesting because you go back uh, almost two years ago and Trump uh, was meeting with Mark Walker about whether or not Walker should challenge Tillis. And here was the story out of Politico back then. President Donald Trump is not encouraging a last minute primary challenge to Tillis, uh, telling Representative Mark Walker that he is sticking with his endorsement of the vulnerable Senate incumbent. Walker met with Trump and Vice President Mike Pence uh, back in this was December 2019 about his political future, according to four people briefed on the meeting. And though Trump is backing Tillis, he told Walker he would enthusiastically back his bid for another office like lieutenant governor or even the state's other Senate seat when Senator Richard Burr retires in 2022. So apparently Walker was led to believe back in 2019 that he might be getting Trump's endorsement this time around. So the reactions to this <clears throat> on Twitter <laughs> were, uh, well, and the, I mean, because now you got these campaigns, you got McCrory and Walker, their campaigns, they were not expecting this. And to have done it at the convention, yikes. I think there were some people that were kind of miffed about all of this. Well, all right, I take it back. I know there were people that were hacked off about this. Let's get back to the speech. So I'm going with Congressman Ted Budd, complete and total endorsement. Come on up, Ted, please. All right, so now Ted Budd is making his Thank way you. up to the podium. I edited that out so we don't have to wait for the <laughs> Wow, Mr. President, thank you so much. You know, and, and go back to 2016. I was in a 17-way race and won, those, won that primary and got here. I was a business guy that never run for office. I think maybe you had an 18-way primary, right? And you, 18-way. We came in and we fought for the forgotten men and women of America. And Laura, I think you're out there. Your father-in-law and you, you fought for me in 2018. The Dems outspent me two to one in the worst Republican district. And with your help, Mr. President and Laura, you coming in to help, we won. In 2020, Laura, we fought together. We fought to help Tom Tillis win. We fought to keep the North Carolina legislature. We fought for North Carolina judges. You're a heck of a teammate, and you'd be a heck of a senator. Mr. President, Laura, this means the world to me. Thank you. But we got a lot of hard work ahead. So let's win this together, and let's get back to making America great again. He read those comments off of a note card <laughs> that he apparently wrote up, you know, in the 15 minutes before the speech began because he was not aware that he was going to be getting that endorsement uh, at the event. Well, thank you very much, Ted. You know, honestly, he did not know about this until about uh, 15 minutes before I walked to the podium. And uh, he was uh, very uh, taken by it. And I have read this on numerous occasions, so I'm not saying it myself. Uh, the wonderful, that's a lot of media, that's good. Well, it's hard for them to cancel when you get great ratings, isn't it? You know, it's kind of They may edit that out. They don't want to have that. They don't like that. 
They may have to edit that out, Ted, but that's okay. They don't like those endorsements. But uh, we've been very, very successful, literally hundreds to one, hundreds to two in terms of the endorsements and the, the power of the endorsement. Okay, so the power of the endorsement. He's talking about how he has made all these endorsements. It's like, you know, 200 of his endorsements won and only like one or two of them lost. And one of those was, in fact, Linda Bennett from North Carolina's 11th Congressional District. Uh, This was um, the endorsement that was made at the urging of uh, Mark Meadows's wife, because Mark Meadows's wife, Debbie, was friends is friends with Linda Bennett. Uh, they worked in the same political circles and such, um, but they were friends. And remember, the endorsement was made. Madison Cawthorn then beat Linda Bennett in the primary runoff. And uh, he said, look, you know, President Trump, don't you know, don't make that endorsement. He's being uh, misled. Uh, on making this endorsement. He just, you know, he went with what people told him to do. And so Cawthorn has been pro-Trump. And that's one way to go after you don't get the president's endorsement. We have some other <laughs> some other ways to go. And the Democrats responded to this endorsement. That's all coming up. And uh, first, I'd like to tell you about Rowena Patton and the All-Star Powerhouse team. This is the real estate team that Christy and I are using to buy our house. And it is a um, it's a brand new construction house. And look, there were a lot of things we did not know. We've never uh, we've never ho- uh, uh, built a home. And we've never gotten to do this. They call it build to suit. So it's not, you know, custom built or spec built or anything like that. We didn't know what to expect, but Rowena and her team did because they've helped people go through this before. So if you're buying or selling, rely on them to help you uh, answer these questions as you're going in so you know what questions to ask uh, and you know what the process looks like and you know the costs associated with all of this. Um, The phone number is 828-333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. She uh, outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. So if you are looking to buy, she has homes in all price points. If you're looking to sell, she has buyers lined up. Give her a call. Tell her you heard it here. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Tell her I sent you and then start packing. All right. So here is a couple of two things from uh, uh, Pat McCrory, former governor Pat McCrory. He said on Twitter, quote, I'm disappointed that President Trump has endorsed a Washington insider who has done more to oppose the Trump agenda than anyone in this race. We will win this race the primary and the general. Ted Budd opposed President Trump's plan to secure the border, to support our farmers, to repeal Obamacare, and he even voted against President Trump's COVID vaccines. Now he'll do even more to defeat President Trump's agenda if he is the Republican nominee by giving our seat in the U.S. Senate to Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. Ted Budd's bought and paid for Washington insider voting record is not electable in North Carolina. Now, I think this is an interesting approach because on the one hand, and by the way, like Pat McCrory is criticized for saying, like, I'm the outsider. And it was, oh, my gosh, how could he be the outsider? Well, he's he's not a D.C. insider. Yes, he was one term governor and he was the mayor for seven terms in Charlotte. But that does. I mean, so, yes, he is not an uh, an outsider to politics, but he is an outsider to the D.C. political game more so than a congressman. Right. I think that's a legitimate um, case that he can make there. But now this, but what he's saying here, though, is that Ted Budd voted against the Trump agenda. And that means he's going to lose to Democrats. And I'm not so sure that that message is consistent. 
Uh, I guess unless you're going to say that he's not going to get the MAGA crowd to support him and to turn out for him. And so therefore he will lose the seat. I, I, I don't know. But it seems like if you are trying to attract non-MAGA crowd voters, then voting against Donald Trump's agenda might actually do it. And I think the MAGA crowd might actually turn out for Ted Budd because (laughs) he has the endorsement. Like, that's kind of the power of the endorsement, I thought, right? Isn't that? Okay. Uh, McCrory goes on to say, if supporters of President Trump want his agenda to be supported in the U.S. Senate, they should not vote for Ted Budd, who has opposed him at every turn and who would lose to the far-left next November. The audience reaction was telling. The president got bad advice in picking a Washington, D.C. insider. North Carolina voters will pick the best person to represent them, and I'm looking forward to them supporting us in the primary and the general election. Uh, So that was on Twitter, and that very uh, it closely tracks with his official statement from the campaign as well. So I won't read that uh, uh, to uh, to you. So here was the other one, uh, Mark Walker. Uh, Mark Walker. So they at the Republican convention, they do the straw poll and to see you know which candidate has the most support. And so they do the straw poll and Mark Walker won it. <laughs> Mark Walker was the hands down favorite among the RNC attendees um, or the Republican, the state convention attendees. He got 44 percent of the vote. Ted Budd came in second with 29. So that's a what, 15 percentage point spread. Pat McCrory came in third with 18 percentage points. Now, Pat McCrory has the highest name ID of all three of them. And Ted Budd's, I think, got the lowest. Mark Walker's got the most amount of uh, endorsements, I think, and he won the straw poll. And Ted Budd didn't have that either. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, I don't know. Uh, Don't know what to make of it. McCrory has led in public polling. And Mark Walker won the straw poll at the convention and Trump endorsed Ted Budd. And so that's why people are saying, holy cow, uh, Trump just blew up the Republican Senate primary race. Now, does anybody jump out of the race and may fall out now because of this? I doubt it, but I suspect it's going to make fundraising a little bit more difficult, at least in the short term. Now, I think we will find out whether or not a Trump endorsement really matters in a primary and a general election, right? That's This is going to be a very clarifying moment for us all, so we shall see. Um, I also earlier remember I mentioned um, the beginning of the speech where Trump talked about, he came out talking about um, the uh, defunding the police and the increase in crime. Will Duran from the News and Observer, he tweeted out, quote, crime is up all over the country in part because COVID-19 is no longer keeping people at home. And that was what Donald Trump opened his speech with last night in Greenville, blaming it on Democrats. So crime is up, according to Will Duran. Crime is up because no more lockdowns. (laughs) No. No. Crime is up because people are committing more crimes. Um, The defund the police effort and the vilification of law enforcement um, by media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, uh, this has led to, uh, in my opinion, I think this is pretty clear too, that it has led to the escalation of violent crime. And you've got cops that are uh, essentially, uh, they, they call it de-policing, where they're not, uh, they're not 
they're not actively looking for the crimes. They're not actively patrolling and looking around. They're kind of driving around with blinders on because any kind of a misstep, any kind of an interaction that isn't, you know, a, a distinct call for service for that thing. Now it opens this Pandora's box of, well, why did the cops stop him? Right. So it makes doing the job very difficult. And honestly, there are a lot of people that are getting out of the profession and they're advising others not to get into it because the risks are too great. The juice is not worth the squeeze. Not only do you not get paid very well, but there's this loss of respect in the community for being a cop. Uh, and if you uh, if you do something wrong, if you make a mistake, uh, you and your family's lives are going to be ruined forever. So, um, yeah, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And a lot of people are quitting. And, and Asheville is a great example of it. Uh, there is such an, a high attrition rate now. you got cops that are leaving. The average is now... Um, about seven and a half per month that are that that have been leaving since the protests began like you the department was was averaging about one retirement or resignation a month and now it's somewhere between six and seven over the last half a year it's down uh this is the citizen times story by uh the democrat activist joel burgess uh a year after local protests against police violence marked a spike in officers quitting, the attrition rate among city police continues to surge, setting off what the chief has called a crisis and leading to a recent announcement that officers would not respond to in person or not respond in person to some crimes. And he said, quote, when you lose 50 percent of your detectives, this is what it looks like. So they, they can't investigate crimes. And now you could say, well, these are. You know, crimes that cops shouldn't have been responding to anyway, you know, like reports of uh, theft from a vehicle where there's no suspect information. Like, fine, we don't need to send a cop out there. But a simple assault where you don't have suspect information, so you're just not going to send a cop out to that. The problem is, is that uh, you've you've essentially surrendered. There is zero chance that you're going to collect evidence from that scene that will help you solve the crime. And the activists who are for defunding the police, they're applauding this news. That's a wrap for the episode. I appreciate it. We'll get into more of this at a later episode. Uh, stay tuned. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.